This is Got Marketing, a podcast with ideas, strategies, and tactics to help small businesses create smarter marketing. I'm Mia Feilman, a professional marketer and the founder of Campaign Del Mar. And in this show, I chat with creatives and strategists about the different aspects of marketing, but without the fluff. Let's dive in. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the Got Marketing podcast. Earlier this year, I rebranded my business. Like many startups riding the COVID storm, my former business, Ideello, had many iterations over its three-year history. But after transitioning to becoming a sole director with a fresh vision for the future, rebranding was an opportunity to set the record straight about what I now offer. So in today's episode, I want to take you through my rebrand journey and offer some advice around what you should and perhaps shouldn't do. So before you spend your time thinking about your new logo and putting the champagne on ice, here's what you need to do to nail your rebrand and capitalize on your launch. For the chat today, I've actually asked the brilliant creative designer who helped me bring the Campaign Del Mar branding to life, Um, and that is none other than Rochelle Savel. Rochelle is the founder and creative director of Savel Row. They are a bespoke branding and web design agency based in Sydney with an international roster of clients. Welcome, Rochelle. Thank you so much for having me. I am so thrilled to be here today. Yay. I'm so glad that you said yes, because I really feel that we had such a great partnership going through this rebrand together. Well, I mean, it would kind of be rude if you didn't have me on this episode, because (laughs) considering we worked together, like you said, so closely on this and had such a great time. And my favorite part of the whole branding process anyways, is always like from start to finish, like having that initial chat and those ideas and then seeing where we end up at the end and yours was obviously just so magical. So thrilled to chat all things branding today. Yes. And I think it goes without saying that I love my brand more each day and um, I have really appreciated it even more now that I use it at just how much thought and love went into it. Those brand style guide guidelines that you provided me were next level, like absolutely next level. So glad. So glad. When you said that you hadn't seen anything like that, I just think like, what else do other people get? You know? Oh my gosh, you would be so surprised because obviously I've worked for some really big brands and I've worked with, you know, agencies that we've spent $200,000 with to create, you know, a tiny modification to the Vegemite logo and um, have not received anything on the quality that I got from you. So amazing. Well, that's so great to hear. Thank you for sharing that. (laughs) Pleasure. So before we get too stuck into our chat, I would love for you to share a little bit about your story because it's a really fascinating one. And one of the things that I love um, about our um, relationship is that we both lived in Paris for a few years. So can you tell us a little bit more? Yeah, I love that we share that in common as well. Gosh, it's like taking you back to 2015. I grew up in Canada. I'm not Australian. I do try and pretend I have an accent sometimes, but it's not, it doesn't always work for me. Um, So I grew up in Canada and in 2015, I basically, it was almost like that, um, gosh, it was like a little bit longer than a quarter life crisis. Like I just felt like the need to just 
pick up and go. I just wasn't happy in, I wasn't happy with where I was in life, I guess you could say. And so I bought a one-way ticket to Paris, as you do. Like, Mm -hmm. could you not have just taken a long vacation or something, Rochelle? It was like, no, from one extreme to the other. And I bought a one-way ticket to Paris and I moved. And I literally left my life in Toronto, just packed up and went. So that was sort of the start of really this next phase of my life. And, you know, when I moved, I didn't have an apartment. I didn't have a job. I didn't have any friends. I literally just got a visa and and went. And the incredible thing is, I think once you are so wholeheartedly into something and really back yourself, it's incredible what can actually come out of that. And I really felt that to be true for me. You know, I went in with absolutely no expectation, which, you know, to my advantage really worked for me because I just went in with such an open mind and an open heart to just being like, well, let's see what happens. And, you know, that first year was really trial and error of like just living on croissants and just cruising around the city. And it really wasn't until that sort of second year where I really had the space to really think about like what I wanted that next phase to be and what I wanted to do with my life. And that's sort of where, you know, I had this space to create Sable Row. And I had always, I've been a designer through and through, like that's what I went to school for. It's not like I just decided I wanted to to do that. So I was lucky in that instance that I already had that behind me and I already freelanced as well. So it was a fairly natural step for me to step into creating my own agency. And yeah, I mean, you know, I feel like really the rest is history from there. Like I already spoke French, um, French immersion actually is fun fact about me. So ever since I was six, I spoke French. So that really, really played an advantage for me and grew up speaking French, you know, at school until I was in year 12. So that was a really good fallback to be able to move to a completely different country, speak the language and kind of get around. So that's the Cole's notes of my long story, but one that really changed the trajectory of my life, I would say, that one big, bold decision. So we're both Emily in Paris. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) You a bit more so because you were like on the brand side of, weren't you in, yeah, working over there. And it's just, I mean, yeah, what you see in that show really in a way was depictive, I think, of both of our, our lives over there. And yeah. Loved Except it. I didn't have anywhere near as much money as she seemed to have to splash oh around. Oh my gosh, me either. <laughs> I'm like, I couldn't even really travel. I was just trying to like save my pennies and, you know, get by. I don't have the, I didn't have the designer budget. That's for sure. Yeah. And I, you certainly cannot walk around Paris in those shoes. It is, no. like it's, it's an old city with really cobbled roads and there's dog shit everywhere. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what brought you to Australia? How did you end up here? Well, I had met, there's actually so many Australians in Paris, funny enough. And I had Mm. met a few Australians that sort of gave me that connection to come here. And I was only ever going to come for a year max. That's all. And as you have it, you know, I'm wearing a really nice sparkly diamond ring on my left (laughs) hand. So I'm kind of stuck here for a little while. But, you know, I met my fiance here and I've been here almost six years. Like I cannot even believe that time has passed that long to just be from, you know, here, there and everywhere. So, yeah, originally just some some Australians brought me here and then an Australian kept me here. (laughs) ah <laughs> oh, the Aussie blokes uh, yeah. how do you resist their charms I'm married to an Aussie bloke and <laughs> yeah oh that's amazing such a great story thank you yeah, for sharing thank you. okay so um you work with clients like me to help them bring their brands to life whether that's a new brand or a rebrand 
And I'd really like to understand for you from you is what would you ideally like clients to have in place before reaching out to you? That's a great question because that's something that you know, we really rushed, like you said at the beginning, like before you put your logo, you're all excited to celebrate and putting the champagne on ice. There's so much behind the scenes that need to happen before you get to that point. Like that's always our end goal of this nice, shiny product. But before we even get started, what's really, really helpful if you're especially bringing someone else on to help visualize your, your vision is getting really clear on what that is and really understanding, you know, what, what do you want to achieve as that visionary behind the brand? And how do you want people to feel when they engage with your brand? I think that's really important because branding is so much more than the visuals. It's really about how we make people feel and really having that emotional connection that goes beyond the surface is what's going to, you know, ultimately convert when you're in your marketing kind of phase of things. And so it's really, really important to get crystal clear on that vision that you want and just clear on on that identity and what those values are for you. And understanding that as if it were a person, you're like, I know my best friend through and through, therefore, like, I want my brand to be like X, Y, Z. You have that personality associated to it. And you can already start to bring that brand to life because of, you know, you can relate it to a person. I think that's sort of like one of the easiest um, ways to do that because, you know, it's one thing when all these ideas are in our heads to actually put that down on paper and to start making that into something tangible that you can then express to someone what you're thinking is like the ultimate. Absolutely. So before the mood board, before you go Pinterest happy, you've got to do the brand strategy work. Exactly like you said, this is about your vision and your mission and your purpose and your brand personality. But really from a marketer's perspective, A really simple way to do this is to really nut out who you want to target. Who is this brand intended for? Because um, we seem to value the opinion of people who don't represent our target audience. And so we ask our mother and our cousin and our sister's brother's aunts what they think of our logos and they are never going to purchase from us. So really coming up with a brand that represents um, what the ideal audience wants to see is the really, really important. And then what do we want to be known for? You know, um, it is such a saturated market out there now in terms of digital and social channels. Um, I read a study that said that there were 430,000 new brands started in Australia in the last 12 months. And so we need to find a way to stand out. And you can't just expect that the designer is going to just do all of that for you. There has to be something underneath the design that makes you unique. Um that gives you that really clear positioning so that the designer has something to work with. And and so that's sort of the second thing. And then um, the last thing is how do you want to achieve that? How do you plan to go about targeting those people? And how do you plan to go about um, being known for something? And it's really important to communicate that to, to your branding studio so that they're really clear on that entire strategy before they mock up a single logo. Yeah, you have totally nailed that. And I think the biggest thing too, when you're looking at this is like so much pressure and emphasis is put on the designer for that end product that we sometimes forget to take a step back and realize so much of that beginning work needs to come from the business owner because no one can paint that vision for you. No one can tell you what your values are. You know what those are. And the clearer that you can get around the brand, 
the clearer and more, you know, successful the entire process will be. And I've seen that firsthand from people who are really clear on their vision to people who need a lot more assistance. It's usually a little bit cloudy for them versus someone who's really, really clear. Yeah, you know, the we've all had clients like that, which is like, I just, I don't know what I do like, but I know what I don't like. It's yeah, like, oh, I'll know when I see it. <laughs> yeah, it's very helpful. Um, and I think that um, the real skill here is to zero in. Um, you know, uh, strategy is about choices. That's my favourite saying in the whole world. And so we can't be all things to all people. And so um, I think it, it is easy to be all things to all people. The The real talent is to be able to trim the fat and zero in on exactly who it is that you are serving. Yeah, less is more. Yeah. And then um, I love your comment about the brief. Um uh, excuse my French, but shit in, shit out when yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> when you don't properly brief um, your third-party suppliers. So fun fact, I realised that I was going to be rebranding on the 23rd of December 2020. Um, so that was a little bit devastating. Um, that was when uh, it was clear that my business partnership had come to an end and that I was going to transition away from IDLO. And then I, I, I was on holidays at the time, which was, which was good. However, it did spur me into action. And I spent, no joke, a good week and several hours of that week pulling together the brief that I sent to you to really like do that work that was going to make sure that we got the best result. And I'm so happy to say that it was the absolute best result. <laughs> and it was the best brief, I think too. Like let's give that credit as well because it was so well thought out and, and you're so right when you're not willing to put the time into actually fully articulating and expressing what you want, how do you expect someone to pull that out without that? You know, like we're not mind readers. And I think that sometimes they're like, oh, well, you're the expert. It's like, yeah, we're totally the experts, but we do need something else to go off of, not just like, let us whip this up for you. Totally. Yeah. Okay. So um, can you provide any insight or advice on how business owners should go about appointing a designer? Because this was an interesting part of my process. So I reached out to you and two other designers and I found it really interesting um, going through that process in terms of what the customer experience looked like. Um, I had, you know, an exceptional experience with you, which you were really responsive and really professional. And I felt really confident by the time that I engaged you. Um, but I also had some not so great experiences where, you know, we had a 30 minute chat with a designer and then the next minute it was like, all right, here is a invoice for $7,000. The next step is you pay that. And I'm like, I don't think I'm quite ready. Um, so I'd be keen to know what do you think is reasonable to expect or reasonable to ask from um, your potential brand designer? Because this is a big decision, right? It's a big decision and it's a big investment as well. And I think like you said, you need to be as the customer feeling really taken care of that this person not only is going to get you the results that you ultimately want and that they want for you as well, but that your investment is going to have that return for your business. And let's not forget about that because I think, again, as a business owner, especially that is come second to me in my mind. You know, I'm more about like, I want to make sure that we have the best 
experience and customer experience before we even onboard someone and, you know, make them make sure that they feel really taken care of. So for me, I guess it also depends, like everyone's going to be a bit different. That's not my first value. And so I'm more about the customer experience than I am about the here sign the, you know, sign the contract and pay us. So, you know, when you're thinking about bringing someone else on, what you did is so great is going out and sourcing out the different quotes. You know, what's that different experience going to be like? Don't necessarily go for the first person unless you're dead set on them. And maybe you'd already been following them online for a while and you already know what they're like, but it just gives you the insight as the consumer to understand a, what the market is out there and what they're saying and and doing, but be also understanding like you're interviewing someone for the job essentially, you know? And I think that's the, that's the biggest thing. Again, when we're talking about someone's investment, like we don't take that lightly. We understand what it's like to be a small business and putting that out there as well. So making sure that your decision is, is really well thought out with the person you're going with is really important. And, and then you get to see how they engage and interact. Like you said, what is that customer experience like from that provider? And it gives you just a full scope and, you know, more doesn't necessarily mean more like if someone's higher doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get a better experience and i think that's one thing people get so caught up on it's like that's why you know you buy a gucci bag over a zara bag you know it's like is that going to like what does that experience do for you it doesn't necessarily mean look that's probably a better quality because the zara bag might not be you know full leather but you get what i'm saying is like it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be a better result for you and so getting you know recommendations from others, from others, other trusted sources who might've done something similar to you before and getting their opinion on who they've worked with and kind of crowdsourcing that way is a really good option as well. But really kind of going in there being that don't settle on that first, first one, like go through and and do what feels right to you. Cause you're going to understand, oh, I really loved choice B. They felt really good and aligned with me. I feel confident going with them. And I know that this is going to be a great relationship. Because I'm a true believer that how you do one thing is how you do everything. If you are getting really delayed responses from someone, it's likely that that's how the experience is going to be. So you just need to know how you want to be treated in that situation and find someone who can be aligned to you with that. Uh, absolutely spot on, especially the comment about how just because you pay more, you think you're going to get a better experience. That was not my um, my experience with it. Um, what I really loved about what you said was that um, – it really is about you interviewing them. And it's okay for you to say, I actually don't have enough from you in order to be able to make this decision. Can you help me make this decision? You know, what can, what can, what else can you give me to, um, you know, make me feel really confident? In which case, you know, you can say, well, check out our Google reviews or um, have a look at a case study um, of a project that we did in a similar industry to yours so that you can get a feel for that. And it's totally okay for you to say, I actually need more. Um, And I think one of the biggest challenges when it comes to um, any kind of briefing of third-party suppliers that I hear every day is, well, I don't know how much these things cost. So I can't set a budget because I don't know how much these things cost. 
Well, get a quote, get several quotes so that you can understand that there is a huge spectrum. You know, you can find someone that will do a logo for you for $600 and you will find, and I have worked with brands where we have paid $600,000 and everything in between. And so um, that's the first learning. And then exactly as you said, go onto Instagram you know, um, follow the hashtag branding designer or branding studio and just let your feed inspire you and then reach out to the designers that you, um, you know, have saved the most of their posts and go, oh, I love this, I love this, I love this and get a few different quotes so that you can get a read of what is a reasonable price and what you are prepared to spend. Um, But for me, I was also changing the name of my company. So every single document needed to change. And there was a lot of legal stuff that have to change. You know, if you're just doing a rebrand and you're uploading, you're just updating your visual identity, then you may not, not need to change every single document. You could just do a phased approach where you're just like, okay, when I run out of business cards, I'll just replace them. That was not my reality. From one day to the next, I had a completely new company name. And so for me, what was really important was the professionalism. And I actually put that above other things. And so, um, you know, I wasn't willing to compromise on that at all because I knew that you know, I needed you and Savile Row to really take care of all of that for me so that I could focus on the other areas of the business. So um, you need to think about what's important to you. Um, and I don't think you should ever forego professionalism, actually, because it's just no, not at all. <laughs> such a pain in the ass. Like, I've, I have heard horror stories and not just with designers but with marketers and with graphic designers where the client is chasing the um, service provider for the work and it's like, well, where is this? And um, I have to say I've worked with many, many branding studios in my 20-year career. Savile Row hit every deadline. Every milestone that you said you would have this by then, you hit it. And I just love that. Love it. Thank you. That's like such a high value for us because like I said, customer experience is number one. If like I personally get anxiety if something is like blown out, we're like, oh no, we have to meet this deadline. You know, it's very, very, very important to me and the entire team that we hit those deadlines because that's how we would want to be treated. You know, it's like treat people how you want to be treated. I want people to do business with us because they trust us and they rely on us and they know that we deliver on those exact things. So good. So, so good. All right. So let's talk about naming because um, some people are in the same boat as me and needed to come up with a completely new name for their business. Um, In your opinion, what makes for a good name? And do you have any places that you go to for inspiration? What makes a good name is something that is memorable and easy to say, easy to pronounce, easy to write. Like I know that that was one thing with you as well, even with Idiello. It's like, oh, you mentioned that on the phone and you're like, and you have to spell it out because someone doesn't know what that is right away. And, you know, I think in, again, today's fast society, we want to make sure that what we're saying resonates with people. So having something that's really sharp and just, you know, really quick does, does the trick, you know, most of the time. And so getting really clever, I think as well with a name, 
there's nothing wrong with going with your personal name, like your namesake, if that's something that aligns with your business. But if you're coming up with a completely different name, it can be tough. Like there's so many different, you know, so many names out there, not enough names. There's like all the things because not only are you coming up with a name, you all of a sudden have to register it and check that no one else has anything similar in your industry or area. And then you have to try and find a URL. So it's it's a lot to consider. And I think before, yeah, before you get too caught up on a name, you kind of have to do your background check on what that is. So I always like to say, if you're really struggling for a name, I do a word bank. So I would start to write down words that come up that are related to the brand or related to the feeling that you want people to feel related to the subject matter and start just sort of mind mapping things and being like, is there something here that we can pull out? Again, if you've already gone in and done a bit of your own brand strategy in terms of like really nailing out your vision and, and your values and your mission, you might be able to pull something out from that that could really then resonate as a name. But otherwise it's like getting creative, trying to, you know, roll up the sleeves. I like to try and look at other industries that are not competing at all, just again, because you can't have anything similar as someone in your industry and just trying to see what they've come up with. And and I just wordplay, you know, like looking, if you were doing something that was a health and wellness brand, you know, look at the color green. What is the color green in the French language, in Spanish, you know, could we play on that? And looking at clever words of like, what else, what did, what was the green word? How did that originate from, you know, and kind of going back into this little, I don't even know, like a deep rabbit hole of being like trying to find the source of something that just sticks. I know for me, I was a very lucky because Sable is my last name. So I couldn't really mess that one up. And it's inspired by the London tailoring district, Savile Row. And so it's spelt differently, but it's a play on words. So for me, it was very catchy and, you know, and unique because no one has that name and it was a fun play on words for me. So worked out really well. But if you are definitely struggling, I say mind map, make sure you do your work of like mind mapping and also in your browser having GoDaddy and like a registrar, you know, in your browser just to make sure no one has those names. Yes. What do you what do you think? I know you've been in in this kind of realm like how did you even come up with IDLO and what's your experience with naming? Yeah, I'm really good at coming up with brand names for other people, not so much for myself. And that really speaks to the truth around the fact that we can't be objective about our own marketing. In fact, that's the entire premise of my business. But I do have a five-step framework that I use to come up with brand names for my clients. And so step one is to outline your non-negotiables. What are the things that your name absolutely must have? For example, it must include the word digital or it must be easy to spell, uh, which was the case for me. Number two, um, we fill our buckets. Let me explain what this means. I think that there are really four directions that you can take a brand name. Um, either the name relates to your product or service, the benefit that you offer, your personality or your brand personality, and your edge, so your point of difference. And so um, what I like to do is to take a blank sheet of paper or a blank Google Doc and um, create a um, four-quadrant table. Um, and Each of those four quadrants represents one of those buckets, product or service, benefit, personality, or edge. 
And so then we start to fill those buckets with as many words as we can think of um, that apply to that um, category. So all the words that you can think of that relate to your product and service, all the words that you can think of that that relate to your benefit and so on. Step three is that once you've exhausted your brain power for every word that you can think of that fits into those buckets, turn to external sources for research and inspiration. So whether that's social media, whether that's cookbooks, TV series, a great thesaurus like Power Thesaurus or foreign cultures and just keep filling those buckets. Then step four, as you mentioned, Rochelle, is where we do some wordplay. So start mixing and matching your buckets until lightning strikes. Look, the reality is now in Australia that it's very unlikely that you will have a one word brand name unless it's a made up word. And that's because um, so many different names are already registered. We have one business registry in Australia and that covers all businesses and all corporate trusts. So finding even the word, you know, banana is probably registered. So more realistically, you're going to probably need a two word or more brand name, which is where this word play um, really comes into play. And then step five is the availability check. Before you get too excited, check that your business name is available in the National Business Name Registry or Trademark Database. You should also jump on a domain registry or a site like namechecker.com to ensure availability for the domain and also the social media handles. And look, my last piece of advice is that coming up with a brand name is not like picking a name for your child or for your pets. It's probably not going to be something that you instantly love and say, this is the perfect name. And that's just because Um, There are just so many names that are already taken. Um, So manage your expectations and expect to compromise, but also that um, it takes time for us to fall in love with those names. And I didn't know at the time that Campaign Del Mar was the perfect name, but now I certainly do. I love it. Gut Marketing is brought to you by Campaign Del Mar a marketing education platform for entrepreneurs. Master the fundamentals of marketing, nail your email marketing strategy, or join my signature program, Campaign Classroom, and learn how to create killer marketing campaigns. These are not the kind of online programs where you are left floundering, unsure how to put theory into practice. Nor will these programs sit unfinished for months. You can expect accountability, a supportive community, and to walk away with practical, real-world marketing skills. Learn more at campaigndelmar.com. You work with clients all over the world. What do you think makes for a great working relationship with your clients? Well, if you haven't already figured out now, I'm really big on customer experience, (laughs) customer service. So for me, communication, number one. But what I do, and I feel like I do this really, really well, are those touch points throughout the way. We're always trying to think of how can we make our experience 
really personal and something that's like a surprise and delight. So that's really, really important to us is that whole client experience. So what makes for a really great relationship, whether you are working interstate, overseas, you know, all of the above is communication and being as, you know, personable and I don't even know, like mindful as possible. Like everyone's busy. And I think what the beautiful thing, especially about our business is it's been remote from day one. So pre quarantine, COVID, all the things we've always had a remote business. We've always worked with international clients. And again, the number one thing has always been being available to them in times that suit them. So oftentimes I'm the one taking 6am calls or 7am calls. My team won't go 7am is a bit too early for them. I'm like 8am they can do, but I'm still the one that will take those really early calls to be accommodating to them. So I'm not coming in saying, we're in Australia. So you have to work in our timing. I really am accommodating to them and we'll put up those really early time slots. Again, that's what's important to me to make sure that they are taken care of throughout this process and then communication and delivering on your, like what you say you're going to do. If you said to someone that is really close to me saying, what's one of Rochelle's, like, what is Rochelle's core value? Every single one of them would tell you integrity. Like for me, it is a hard stop. I get just, that is a red flag for someone who doesn't say, you know, doesn't do what they say they're going to do. So for me, I deliver on that every time because that is like literally my number one core value. Uh, that is so apparent as well, having worked with you, that that is exactly what I would have said to describe you. Yeah. Can we just chat for a minute about contracts? Because I feel like as service providers, we're like, oh yeah, well, we need a contract and we need to just quickly get that signed. And that's a formality but how important it is to take your client through that contract and make sure that they understand what it is that they're getting and they're not getting and how it's going to work. And um, this is a, a little shout out to Verity from Checklist Legal, who has completely reimagined the service provider contract from something that is just a really kind of um, you know, tick a box, get your contract done, have it all in legalese and no one reads it and it's 16 pages long and the client just is like, yep, sure, whatever, done. And she has created contracts that are in the tone of voice of the brand that are very visual um, so that um, the brand and the service provider can just be on the same page from the get-go so that there's no surprises. And I think that we rush through that step. I know I have in the past. And now I literally sit with my clients and I actually walk them through the contract and say, so do you know that this is where you have to do this bit and I'm going to do this bit, but you need to do this bit. Are you cool with that? That's great. So just so that we're clear from now. You know, that is such a great point because so much of a business transaction we sometimes expect for granted and we're like, oh, they said they're going to sign with us. So here's, you know, here's the contract, here's the invoice, like, let's just get it done. But there is so much in that nurturing still of that contract and legal component of making someone feel comfortable with signing over thousands of dollars. And that's such a great point because there is still things that clients need to do in order to get the results. Like, again, it's not just a one-way show here. It's like both of you have deliverables that you need to do and, and commit to. And that's really important. Communication again, and being super transparent gets you the best results because you know what to expect and you know what is expected of you as well as, as the customer, as the service provider. So contracts are so important. And I have to say, 
in the past, I had a really, really legal one. Then I had a casual one. Then I have like a one in between. And even the one in between, I'm not loving. And it pains me because I paid so much for that. But I'm like, I want to make sure that people understand this and that they are not asking me questions afterwards. So you're right. Like being really clear and upfront with what that is, because again, how you set the tone is going to really be a mirror for how the experience is going to go. So being really transparent upfront and making sure that everyone understands what the deliverables are, you know, all of those things, what they're getting in the end is really important. Yeah, I think hope and assumptions are a really terrible business strategy. And so, you know, going in there with that, oh, but of course they were going to provide Canva templates for us. Like, of course they were. Well, is that an assumption? Yeah, big assumption. You know, what's so interesting about that is, and and I guess this is my belief of, you know, doing what we do of, of branding. It's like, I want to make sure that our clients have everything they need after engaging with us. Not that they're coming back being like, oh, where's the Canva templates? Where's this? Where's that? And it's like, oh, it wasn't included in the, in, in the package. We've designed our packages that it's literally like all the things that you would need. Whereas I know some people who charge a bomb for just branding and don't include any of that stuff. And I kind of feel like that's a bit deceiving because you're like, you get this beautiful brand and then what? Yes, you can't use it. To yourself to do all these things, you know? So, yeah. And you can't use it. And also I have come across a few designers lately who flatly refuse to provide Canva templates. Um, And it's like, I'm sorry, we're too good for Canva. We do everything. No one's too good for Canva. I wish (laughs) I came up with Canva. I will bow down to them. They are brilliant. And you know what that does? It gives the business owners an opportunity to own their marketing and own their brand post-branding. So if anyone is rebranding and your designer is going to tell you they're not going to give you Canva templates, don't hire them because you need them. (laughs) Correct. And for me personally, nothing that I offer to my clients anymore is done for you. It's all done with you. So I will not write your email sequence. I will not, you know, launch your campaign for you. There is... um, parts that I will do and then there's parts that you need to do and so it's really important that I have that contract or that discussion up front so that they know because um, my business model is different most marketers you outsource to and they will do it all for you whereas I'm a marketing education platform I actually teach you how to do it and it's really clear that people who work with me know that from the outset that I'm actually not here to do that work for you. Um, so don't just jump through that step, I would say. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. All right. I think, and I know that you agree, that it is a missed opportunity to just flush up your new brand one day to the next without any fanfare and just be like, hey, I rebranded. I think it is um, a cause for a really um, exciting campaign around that. Why do you think rebrands are so interesting to other people? Mia didn't pay me to say this. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put that out there here. Her rebrand launch was the best I've ever seen in my entire life. And why is because she got everyone involved from the very beginning of like, not only why was she rebranding, but what this brand meant to her and where all of these sources of inspiration came from. So, you know, you mentioned earlier the Cote d'Azur and, you know, your background and the islands and the, and the tropicalness and all these things. And you brought people along on a journey 
into behind the scenes of the brand and then boom, here's the brand. But you did that over like, was it a week? Because mm-hmm. I think you had like nine posts and then you yeah. had the rebrand. And that was so clever because the reason why people are so interested is the same reason why people watch the Kardashians. They are nosy. They want to know what's going on in someone else's life behind the scenes. And they want to be entertained. Like they're not necessarily always in it to just learn, learn, learn. Being able to bring them along the journey allows you to open up the doors of what's happening behind the scenes and allows you to connect on a deeper level with your potential customers and consumers. So getting them involved in your rebrand and being like, here's what we've been working on and we're sharing you these behind the scenes and the drafts and the this and the that gets them excited for what's ahead for you. And they're even more involved in your rebrand than just one day being like, oh, surprise, we rebranded. Like how anticlimactic is that? You're like, that's not fun or exciting. I agree. And like, we know that behind the scenes content performs so well for exactly that reason, like voyeurism, it's a real thing. And um, there's nothing more behind the scenes than a rebrand taking shape and a transformation happening. And also people have opinions about what it's going to look like and they can't wait to see, yeah, they can't wait to see it to go, ooh, that's better than I thought or oh that's not as good as I thought so they're just they're interested but the same way that brand storytelling works with words rebrands work with images um, where you're taking them on that journey of why this brand is but the other reason why you should do it is also so that you don't lose anyone along the way like we completely changed the name we changed the Instagram handle we changed the color palette the iconography, the illustrations, all of it changed. You don't want people to log on to Instagram and go, where the freaking heck is ID Yellow? <laughs> like, <No>. who's this <laughs> chick? Yeah. yeah. So um, part of the reason what I that I did what I did was to get people accustomed to that colour palette, to the tone of voice. I completely changed the tone of voice between ID Yellow and Campaign Delmar so that it didn't jar with them. And I have to say that, I did not feel like I lost a beat going from IDLO to Campaign Delmar. There wasn't a single person that was like, I can't seem to find you. Um, But I spent just as much time planning the relaunch as I did the actual brand, um, you know, experience. Um, I engaged a... um, absolute tech whiz in Singapore to handle the um, the flip, um, redirection of my website and changed over my emails. And I decided to do it like big, you know, go big or go home. I didn't drip feed it. It was like literally from one day to the other, I was IDLO to I was campaign Delma. I changed everything. So I had a checklist literally within an hour where the URL changed all the social media handles changed. Um, I put the post on Instagram. I sent the EDM. Um, it was just like bang. And and it was like a party. It was like, here we go. It's happening. And um, I thought that that was really important to try to bring as much of my audience with me so that it didn't seem like we're in the wrong place. Hang on. where? What is this? Who is this? 
Yeah, it was a party and everyone was invited. I think that was the best part. It's like you had these consumers and these loyal following who were really, you know, followed you for a reason. And then you're still bringing them along the way being like, hey, it's still the old me. Like I just have a new brand and here's what it looks like. And and bringing them along that journey has done really, you know, does really, really well for businesses who do that because it just, again, builds that deeper connection with the consumers. Yes, absolutely. And I just think that um, it's an opportunity for you to reintroduce your brand to your people. Like now that when you're an existing brand, it's hard to kind of go, hey, can we just take a minute and I'll just like run you through once again exactly what it is that we do and who we are. It's Whereas a rebrand is that line in the sand where you can say, this is a great opportunity where I can yeah, share with you exactly what we do around here. Um, And yeah, I loved the experience start to finish with you. Oh, I'm sorry. And then you also had your own theme song made. (laughs) (laughs) You had that, which is clever. Yeah. You just like, I think it's again, thinking of those touch points and I'm so big on brand experience. It's like, not only was it the Instagram and the emails and all these things, you're like, let me just put together this playlist and put it on Spotify. And you can also, you know, imagine you're in a place called Campaign Del Mar. So it's very clever. I think the more you can think outside the box for a launch, the the more, you know, the better well-received it will, it will be. And again, bringing people along that journey. Totally. And think about Sonic Branding. Now we're doing podcasts. We're doing all this video marketing. You know, um, reels can have a track. And why not be your original track or a, a track that is synonymous with your brand? Because let's not just appeal to one of the senses. Let's appeal to all of the senses. And so that was um, the Sonic Branding, the Campaign Delma original track was such a good investment. I paid a Newcastle musician who hadn't worked because of COVID for many, many months. And I paid him $1,000 to compose an original song, which is a little bit Mad Many, a little bit Disney, a little bit, you know, um, Greek, Mediterranean, you know, uh, Buddha Bar, Cafe Del Mar. And it is so me and so Campaign Del Mar. And I think that that even on a subliminal level is going to appeal to people. Um, yeah, it's it's going to penetrate. Without a doubt, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Well, that has been such a juicy conversation. Thank you so, so much, Rochelle. So how can people get in touch? I could not recommend Rochelle and her team enough if you really want to put your best foot forward for your branding or for your rebrand. Thank you. This has been such a great chat. I love all things branding. You can find me over on Instagram. That's where I hang out and it's at Sable Row and our website is sablerow.co. Fantastic. Well, I will put those links in the show notes and thank you so, so much for your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You listened right up until the end. So why not press that subscribe button and keep the good marketing rolling? You can also connect with me, Mia Fileman, on Instagram or LinkedIn, and feel free to send me a message. I'm super friendly.